Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Hello, everyone. This is Dennis with Collider Games. I'm here with Doreen Parks, and we also have our special guest today, Dante Bosco. How are you doing, Dante? I'm doing good, man. Good to hang out with you guys. Yeah, thanks for virtually. joining us. Yeah, virtually, like uh, the whole world is. Uh, thanks for joining us. We're, we're here to talk to you. You know, you've just recently uh, been signed on to the third season of the Emmy Award winning series artificial which is exclusively on twitch we all know you from your past work as rufio and hook and prince zuko in the last airbender and many many other things how did you get connected to this particular project yeah so i've been a fan of bernie sue the co-creator and the showrunner of the show and director uh for quite some time who you know like you said won emmy for the show in the last year or so and also won emmys for uh for the Lizzie Bennett Diaries on YouTube and Emma. And I've been a pal with him just in the Asian American uh, creative scene out here in Los Angeles. So uh, we've been pals for a while within this time of, you know, the pandemic and everything being locked down. He reached out to me and he found out a way to shoot during these times. And um, it just so happens. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like I'm in post for a film I'm doing, but uh, I jumped at a chance to work with Bernie A and then, to be a part of something kind of new and innovative and uh, especially in these you know figuring out a way to work in these uh you know these uncertain times i know bernie from a long time ago as well coming up in in the online video world and it's, it's great to see how far he's come and with you know creating several series and winning uh emmys for these series um you know with artificial you know, it's a groundbreaking series in the way that it's being constructed with the input of the fans. And you recently right. did like a two hour world building episode to actually create your character, which is right. obviously something not something we're not used to. How was that process for you? It's brand new, man. He, you know, he, he, he when I signed on to do it, because I definitely want to work with Bernie and, and I know how innovative he is. He definitely let me know. We don't know what you're going to do yet. 
you know, we, <laughs> the fans are going to choose like what kind of character you're playing. This is obviously not the way that it usually happens. You usually get a script and a character and all this kind of stuff. And you kind of decide what you want to do beforehand. But me is more this time around, just deciding to work with Bernie and being a part of this new adventure and going on and doing the first world building character building episode was a first for me, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, we were in front of like 14,000 fans at one time creating my name and my character flaws and, it, it was not unlike, and I'd said it on the stream, like it feels like we're doing a Dungeons and Dragons character, uh, just with all these fans in, you know, with their input engaging in what's, what I'm going to end up doing in the two weeks here. Um, so I'm excited. It's fun. It's fun to embark on some new stuff, especially in these crazy times. Um, but I think it's like, you know, ironically, the perfect time to do something like this. Yeah, watch, watching that uh, world building episode was very interesting to see. It was kind of like creating your own D&D character or video game character. Right. Um, your character's name is Xander. And there was all these different options to, to how your character was going to relate to S- Sebastian. It looks like you're going to be a rival uh, with right. an ex, ex-friend past history. Childhood um, friends, yeah, we have a little. Yeah. We're gonna have some tangoing going on, I'm sure. When are you gonna start uh, filming the, the the actual season three? Because you said uh, so the, Bernie has come up with this this new way to shoot for during this COVID time. Yeah, it looks like uh, this character is gonna be debuting next week on the show. Oh, so next Thursday, I think I do rehearsals earlier in the week. Uh, again, it's gonna be a new process for me to understand the new dialogue and uh, as the as the audience, you know, is a major component of the show they're gonna be able to kind of like you know just pivot the show different directions and understanding what directions you know i as an actor look it seems like i'm gonna have to learn you know lines if we go this way i gotta learn the scenes this way and then this way and this way as opposed to if we go this way or if we go this way this way this way like in my mind it's a little crazy he said don't worry about it. it's gonna be fine but i understand as a character i'm gonna like 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 life you're gonna have to be able to move in a bunch of different directions and understand what the outcome is going to be on each way and how to play that. Yeah. It reminds me of those old choose your adventure books. Choose your adventure books. Right. Right. Yeah. What's kind of your personal take on uh, artificial intelligence and how, how are you going to bring your personal thoughts and opinions into this character? I mean, it's fun. I, you know, Stephen Chang's playing Sebastian. I've been following his character and seeing what he's doing. He's doing some really fun, cool stuff. And, uh, He's a little, you know, he's a little spicy character, so I can't wait to kind of get in there and, and tango with him, as it were. And the whole sci-fi kind of sci-fi soap opera thing going on, uh, I can dig that. I haven't done soaps in quite some time. I've done some soaps in, in the 80s when I was on Santa Barbara, and then again with MTV with the first soap they did. And so it's going to be fun to kind of get back in the drama, dramatic aspects of the world and really push those those limits but also doing it with a whole, you know, fan base behind me, mm-hmm. drawing me or driving me into certain directions. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. When you were doing that world building episode, uh, I know they were doing polls for all the different choices. Were you ever looking at the polls and be like, I hope they choose this one because that's, you know, what I think would be more interesting. Or you were like, I'll just go with whatever, whatever. The, yeah. The, I mean, the, 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 the conversation I had with Bernie beforehand was like, let's, you know, you know, let's not influence the, the, the polls. Let's like mm-hmm. just present the polls out there and really let the fans kind of um, roll with it. There was all, I mean, I got out of all the things that came in, I got to pick like four or five things and then they could pick from there. And of course there are things like, ah, hopefully I get to do that. But then no, you got to do this. But 
it's cool. I mean, a lot of times when you're developing a character, you're solely going in there and creating your own flaws and attributes with the, of course, with the script, but you're kind of creating your own thing. And I'm sure I'll still be creating some things on my own, but having the input for the fans is really fascinating because it's also cool to see a, how they see you as an actor uh, and the characters you play and B um, what they see, what they want to see you do. And there's certain things that are like flamboyant and superstitious and a medium and dark humored. I was like, okay, I can do all that kind of stuff. We're going to, we're, and, and not just for me as an actor, it's for me as an actor to play, but it's also great for the writers of the show that get to play with all these uh, elements that they, you know, we aggregated um, and, and see what we come out with together. Um, I know we're going to talk about artificial a little bit more in a minute, but I couldn't, I couldn't let you go without saying like Avatar, one of my favorite shows ever. American Dragon, Jake Long, another one of my favorite shows. Hey, thank you, man. <laughs> talk to you, just like hearing your voice right now, hearing Zuko is just amazing. So just for you, um, what was it like seeing uh, Avatar come back on Netflix and just seeing a whole resurgence of new fran- fr- uh, fans flock to, flock to you and flock to Zuko? It really blew me away. I mean, first and foremost, it shows you the power of, uh, of Netflix, you know, and then to see some of these projects and how they're, how they're seen and how they're taken in and digested, uh, you know, decades after you did them. Uh, a project like, like Avatar is amazing because when it first came out, it was a big surprise to me and to a lot of the cast members about what a phenomenal hit it became. And, you know, in, in its own niche way, it became its own world like not unlike star wars or uh star trek or you know harry potter or game of thrones or something like that and so to and i'm a fan of all those things right so to be a part of something like that at its core and and have arguably like one of the most favorite characters you know in the show uh really blew me away at that time and then to come back you know 15 years later and for it to hit uh you know for the audience that grew up with that love it and then a whole new audience finding it now and with the story and the themes of what's going on, how poignant that is for the times that we're living in right now mm-hmm. is mind blowing, you know? Um, but so, so, so shout out to Netflix for, for being a part of that. And uh, it's been crazy because I think maybe a month or two, two months before that, they had just brought Hook back to Netflix and, mm-hmm. Nef- and Netflix did a drop when I was in Asia, uh, finishing up some stuff for my, uh, the film I just directed they, you know, Netflix tweeted out a picture of Rufio and like talking really good things about Rufio and Netflix. And again, seeing like your, all your socials blow up because of Netflix and a new generation of fans finding that and the older generation revisiting that. Um, I've been very fortunate to have some of these characters throughout my career that have resonated now, you know, decades. It's cool. And speaking of, since we're on the subject of Netflix and Avatar, do you have anybody in mind that you would like to see? Because I know they're doing a live action version series. Do you, have you thought about who would you like to see as Zuko? I mean, there's, a, there's so many dope young actors out there. It's, uh, it's going to be hard to say. I, I mean, I can't say to sit right now who it would be. Again, it would, you know, it'd be dependent upon how the whole world comes together. And we don't even know, you know, I'm like, I was talking to some cast too. And of course I'm involved with the, the IP and, people reach out. I mean, people have reached out to me on my platforms from, from just random people all over the world that want to be involved in audition to, you know, close friends that are in Hollywood that want to audition. And it's like, uh, you'll see how involved I, I may get in as the process continues, but you never know, you know, it's, it's, it's Hollywood's filmmaking. It's, um, I know we're in a time where we're hopefully going to be able to cast this in a way that's going to be very inclusive 
to people of color and get it, get it right. And that would be always my, my stance of trying to propel the story forward. But as far as, you know, specific actors, you never know until, you know, these kids, I don't know. It's very strange. It's like, it's Netflix. We don't know. It's going to be older guys playing younger. Is it going to be real stranger things where you can get really kids of that age doing this epic adventure? Um, that, that, that plays into a lot of things, you know? So we'll see how it pans out. I don't know. I'm excited. I think I'm as excited as anybody else at how it's going to pan out. Um, but we'll see. I got my fingers crossed. But Mike and Brian are helming it. So I got all the faith in the world. Those guys, they created the world. They're so amazing as artists, and I respect them so much just as, as just guys and as men as, as well as artists. So I can't wait to see what happens. And you'd be down to, to not necessarily reprise your role, but you would be down to come back into the live action universe. Maybe you can play another person with Oh, yeah. Avatar you know, I'm, 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 I'm part of the Avatar family for life. So, you know, when, when, when the time's right, uh, you know, you can catch yeah. me. You know, I might pop in somewhere, anywhere. Who knows? People that follow my career know I'm like, I'm one of them actors that can pop up anywhere at any time you know after 30 years in industry is like yeah dante's can show up anywhere speaking of diversity and casting you know as, as someone who was a, a film student in the 90s seeing you play rufio and hook and and also in that the independent film uh the debut um you're you're kind of a pioneer in the in asian american acting um what do you think about kind of like this rise this current rise of uh, Asian American actors, whether it's focused on movies or in cast, you have things like Crazy Rich Asians, The Farewell, Never Have I Ever, Half It. There's there's so many things, whether it's on television or in movies, that is like becoming. You know, obviously there's still more work to be done, but um, it's getting better. How how is it for you? Because you know you were there before all of this happened, and now you're you're seeing it. Kind of some of the stuff that you did, kind of you know, uh, help this blossom. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, I've been in the industry for like 35 years now, which is crazy. And uh, yeah, you know, as Asians in America and Asians in pop culture worldwide, this is, this is the highest profile we've had as Asians in the history of Hollywood, which is crazy. Yeah. And it's, a, you know, we like to think of it as a golden era of what's happening right now. And um, and I know certain roles I've done, certain projects I've done, like you mentioned, are a part of the lineage of what, what ultimately culminated in, you know, Crazy Rich Asians. And the way that the industry is, is, you know, we're all pretty close. We all know each other. We've all been a part of this conversation. Um, the last 10 years, uh, I expanded from just acting into producing um, and writing. And, uh, and, and it, that, all of that, you know, I exclusively write and produce Asian-American content. My last film I just produced is called, I wish I got to direct my first film, it's called The Fabulous Filipino Brothers. I wrote my brother, Darian Bosco. But, um, you know, a lot of things that we did and, you know, directly led to Crazy Rich Asians. And conversations I had with John M. Chu directly led to that kind of stuff. And and John will even say in the interviews, a lot, tons of interviews when he was doing Crazy Rich, it's like one of the reasons he got into Hollywood. You know, when he saw Rufio in Hook as a child, he's like, that was my first feeling that I could be a part of this world that, you know, it's not openly saying that we're not a part of it, but in, in the lack of representation, you know, it's telling us that we're, we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily for us. Um, so I think that change is happening and that this thing is happening is great. I just urge the, this generation of artists and the upcoming artists to continuing to make things 
in the system, outside the system. If the studio's putting out one crazy rich Asian film a year, which is great, which is better than once every 25 years with like Joy Luck Club, mm-hmm. us as independent filmmakers have to continue to make films and put out films every month that the studio doesn't put a film out. Uh, and we have to learn from the notes of like the African-American Hollywood that I grew up in. You know, growing up in the 80s and 90s in Hollywood, uh, there's pretty much studio Hollywood that was more or less, you know, white. And then there was like the counterculture, which was black Hollywood. And, you know, in this town as in the world, you see it's like, if you ain't white, you black. And, and I spent so many years uh, and proudly a part of what black Hollywood it was and is, um, you know, working in things from Fresh Prince to uh, Steve Harvey showed Moesha to, uh, you know, hanging Mr. Cooper to Blood and Bone to Biker Boys. Like the, the list is on and on of like, that's the scene that A, I was a part of artistically and still I'm a part of. Uh, and also just economically, like paid my bills for decades. Um, and that's a part of Hollywood too. So I think this new generation, we're just starting to figure out what Asian Hollywood is and how it connects with black Hollywood, how it connects with Latino Hollywood and how there's the interaction and there's all these things in between. Um, but it's on us to create, you know, take notes of what's going on, like what Tyler Perry did, create blueprints that we we are funding, we are owning. It's our community that is helping to fund the projects that we want to see, not always going to a studio to fund things that they may or may not understand. Um, and it's great they are. I mean, as it goes, there'll be more understanding, more people of color in executive positions that really can get some of these projects through. But it's back in the day, that was the only avenue to get something made. Whereas now the onslaught of social media and indie filmmaking is so robust and all these streaming platforms is we can go out and get things made on our own merit and create systems that are self-sustaining. And that's where, where my mind's at now. It's like, let's do these indie projects. Let's create the soil for um, the next or the first Asian Will Smith to happen. And that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen with one project. You know, people want to be, I talk to young actors all the time and they want to be the first Asian Will Smith guy or girl, something like that. I'm like, you you know who Will Smith is. You know, you have the conversation like, what do you mean? I'm like, Will Smith at 17, he's the Fresh Prince. Him and, you know, Jazzy Jeff, they have platinum albums. He has number one songs in the country. He's a bona fide star. Like, right. I said, that's at 17. He gets so much so he wins the first Grammy for rap ever. Right? They're like, wow, that's pretty big. I'm like, yeah, that's humongous. So much, that's so big that Quincy Jones is like the godfather of all African-American artists. Any genre gets together with NBC. It was the number one network at the time. And they create a show for him called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where she stars in for eight and a half years, right? And then after that, they're like, you can't have a black guy star in an action film. And they put him in Independence Day, which so happened to be produced by Dean Devlin, who's half Filipino, who's a friend of mine. He's like, I did that. I'm like, yeah, you did that. And the rest is history for, for Will Smith, right? To, to think that you can do that as an Asian, as you know, that's a lot to do. That's a lot going on. But then you go, don't even think about that. That's what your journey is as an Asian actor or a person of color artist, right? But who are African-Americans in Hollywood or in the entertainment industry? Do you understand how much content African-Americans have done in the last 250 years of this country? Created jazz, which became rock and roll, rhythm and blues, which then created rap, which became pop music, in the 90s at the time where Will Smith came up, let alone the Harlem Renaissance and the filmmaking, which became all the black television, black films. It's like us as Asians have to see that and go, 
yo, it's not about us asking a white system to make Asian movies. Yeah, that's a part of the hustle. That's a part of the hustle for Black Hollywood too. But it's about creating other systems that we run, that we fund, and it's about asking no one to make what we want to make. Yeah, and and you mentioned the the online platforms and streaming services, and you know YouTube and and Twitch, the the platform that Artificial is on. Yes. How do you feel? You know, how do you feel like something like Twitch plays into kind of the future of storytelling, telling diverse stories, telling independent stories? How does the technology work with the the, the future of storytelling? Yeah, the game has changed. That's why I'm so excited to work with Bernie uh, on this first project together. Uh, I, I look to him as an innovator. Uh, Hollywood will never, I don't think Hollywood's ever going to die. You know, this is the keys of change to getting it out to the people. Uh, I don't think digital media is going to take over, quote unquote, Hollywood. It's just a new avenue and it's a powerful avenue. And it's a form of entertainment that is people are adding to what they're doing. They're, you're still going to have your favorite TV shows, your favorite movies, but you know, there's arguably, we've had conversations with big companies about, you know, the, the average kid today will, will spend two hours watching quote unquote traditional media, but will be on their phone watching this new media eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, so that's where the, but that's where the money's going. And so when you're going that way, these, we don't know what these new platforms are. This is the first time Twitch, which is a brand new platform, became the quote unquote YouTube of live streaming. And now they're doing something narrative and now they want an Emmy for it. And this all uncharted territories were so new in the whole, the whole social media game is 10 years old to a degree, you know? And so think about Hollywood in the first 10 years of what Hollywood was. That's where we're at in the social media, digital media game. And it takes innovators to kind of try new things and do hybrid things like this, which is narrative and digital, uh, you know, and we're all, we're all in this kind of like experiment of what, digital media is and a lot of the new kids are doing stuff so fluidly they don't even know what they're doing they're communicating in a way that never been communicated before in the history of mankind at the speed that it's happening um but at the same token the craftsmanship of what we do as storytellers and filmmakers has not changed acting hasn't changed filmmaking hasn't changed writing hasn't changed um and it's about you know my generation which i include bernie with is like we're the bridge generation is trying to bridge two different, you know, generations. It's, it's pretty wild. It's, it's an interesting time. And uh, speaking of uh, new generations, your niece, actually, she made her debut uh, with the Birds of Prey, L.J. Vasco. So can you just talk about what it's like seeing her kind of starting in this Hollywood industry around the same age that, that yeah. you? Yeah. Again, another thing that I'm so, so proud of, and I love my whole, my whole family, we're all in the industry now. We're the first generation. Me and my brothers, Derek, Darian, Dion, my sister, Ariana, and Everyone's had, had really great careers on their own respective. And, uh, you know, to see my oldest brother, Derek's oldest daughter, Ella, star in a film with, a uh, you know, a very classic, iconic character, again, like me, it really, it was proud for me to go around and, and bring her to all the events and the premieres and um, and other uh, events in Hollywood and just kind of like, and, I, and she's my goddaughter, so it's extra special to me, you know, uh, to kind of give her, just introduce her to the world that I grew up in is really special. Um, and along with her, you know, she has a lot of brothers and sisters that are in line doing stuff. Emerson and uh, Deuce and her cousins, you know, Aurora and Phoenix. And there's, you know, DJ. There's like a whole other generation of Boscos coming up and also family from the Bay, the music scene, the Boscos, Lene and Gabriel and Gabe. And uh, 
it's cool to, you know, we, me and my brothers came to Hollywood not knowing anyone. And I, and I wrote about it in my book from Rufy to Zuko that came out uh, the end of last year. And I'll be touring with that book again when the COVID thing lifts. Uh, and I talk about my experience and not knowing anybody and my whole family's experience, not knowing in the, the potholes that we hit uh, some dark sides of Hollywood. Uh, but for the next generation to, to not have the same hangups that we did and to really take what we did and, uh, and, and just go run, go through, go, go with it. And, and I include the next generation, my family, of course, but also the next generation of Asian American actors all together. Like, you know, learn from what we did and you're supposed to surpass the things we did. That's that's the way it works. And you also yeah, just yeah. touched on music. Um, have you are you working on any new music or anything? Because I know all the time we see you popping up here and there, DJing and stuff. Like any new music yeah. we can expect. I love music. You know, I do some celebrity DJing sometimes. Never, I never disrespect no all my DJ homies out there, y'all artists and y'all crazy, y'all cool. Sometimes people just want to fly me out to do something fun, and I do it. But I never disrespect. Like I never think I'm a DJ DJ. But just put that out there. Shout out to all y'all. But uh, I love music. You know, you know my ba- if you know my background, I had a band with my brothers for years, the Bosco Brothers, and we love music. And then, you know, I write poetry. I'm a part of the. I'm one of the co-founders of the Poetry Lounge Los Angeles, the biggest uh, weekly open mic in the country. And so I, I you know, I'm a hip hop artist, a b boy. I'm like, I'm just a hip hop artist that grew up that's a filmmaker and not in music as much anymore. That being said, you know, last year, a uh, year or so ago, I dropped. Like, like it's last year, I dropped a song with Lin Manuel Miranda, uh, Miranda in a. Uh, an Ukarsh uh, song they did about Rufio, and we did that. That's on Spotify right now. And then I just did a song uh, with my co-producer Ron Erickson, who people know from you know he he's from Maker Studios, and for people that know the the the, the YouTube original gang, he's high on Ron, and so he produced the film with me, and we were like, we need a song for the credits, you know, for the end mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, and so we were like, let's do like a Men in Black song. Like, hey, you know, Men in Black did a Men in Black song. Yeah. We did a fabulous <laughs> Filipino Brothers song, which is pretty dope that we produced and we all wrote uh, some verses on. And so I always, I love music and poetry and that'll always be a form of my expression. Sometimes I'll drop random verses and stuff online, especially in my TikToks or my Instagrams. Just keep people on their toes, you know, stay creative. Also, you've done a lot of voice acting for video games. Do you play any video games? And, and what are you playing right now? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's how I first got introduced to Twitch. Uh, I play a lot of games. Um, not a lot. I actually play one game religiously. I'm a, I play League of Legends, like, religiously. That's, like, that's my game. Like, are you a gamer? I'm like, yeah, I'm a gamer with one game, League of Legends. Um, but we have a stream team called Honor Society on Twitch with myself and Bridget uh, and Justin, and we play games um, all the time. We play Jackbox games with fans, and then we do a weekly Avatar watch as it came back on Netflix here, and we've been raising money for uh, charity. We just raised $10,000 last week for direct relief uh, for frontliners, and we'll be raising more as we go, and I do a catch-up with, with uh, cast members, so people come and watch the show in Honor Society. You know, Jack DeSeno plays Sokka as a regular on the show, uh, when he's free, and uh, Michaela Murphy plays Tops on the show. We have Phil Lamar and Greg Baldwin who plays uh, Iroh, and you know, uh, just customers keep coming to the show, and it's a like good time for us to hang out and talk behind the scenes as we watch the shows. Uh, but as far as video gaming, I'm pretty much a League of Legends player most of the time. I'll, I'll play, I mean, Fortnite, I play all kinds of stuff. I, I actually got to play at the Fortnite Championships last year in oh. New York, which was crazy. And I was teamed up with Tat, uh, Tim the Tat Man, um, 
we did not do that great. We did all right. We, we finished in the top 50%. But, I mean, I'm not a big FPS player. I could play some FPS. I know uh, I know the Avatar skins came out for Smite, so I might we might do some uh, some run. Smite's like FPS League of Legends, so I kind of I've played that a few times. What games do you guys play? Mainly for me, I've been playing Apex, like Apex Legends. Yeah, that's Apex, my that's okay. my that's that's my top game right now. But I just fell into Titanfall too because it's and it's kind of the same. Yeah, they're both the same game, aren't they? I know, no, no, no. Apex is a I, I guess a little bit powered down versus Titan 2's multiplayer because I just like I recently just got put onto uh, Titanfall two and I'm loving it. Like it's it's okay. weird going from Apex to Titanfall. So now seeing like the comparisons, it's they're 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 kind of the same game, like same power, same. Same a lot of things, but uh, Titanfall 2 has, like, wall running and stuff like that. But I don't want to uh, trash my Apex, but, yeah, that's what – No, no, I like those games. I mean, it's, it's always odd how these games come out, you know, they're, like, Fortnite and, like, yeah. you know, all these – like, there's all the competitors. It's the same game. It's, like, the same game. What's going on? But I like – I mean, at the end of the day, I like MOBAs. I like the way MOBA thinking. I like strategy, team strategy games and finding the homies to play with. And, like, you know, even with Fortnite, I like kind of like the team – Team stuff rather than the solo. Fortnite is the only one I I, I I refuse. I can't get into that. Ever since you gotta like start building the building walls and stuff. Yo. Like I, I quit. I can't. Yeah, I suck at I, building. I, I, try, I suck yeah. at building. You gotta get with someone on the team that can build. But when and we did the Fortnite champions to see how good these guys are at building, it was phenomenal. I was like, I can't. They're building so fast, and when the eye of the storm got so small. And it was like literally one person can spit in the eye of the storm, and they're building as the eye of the storm is moving. It was cra- it was mind blowing. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And while we're talking about video games, how do you just feel about them being like we're seeing more of them being adapted into live action, whether it's being a series or a movie? Like, how do you how are you feeling about the them bringing more more um, games to life? It's exciting. I mean, video games have been a part of a you know the last few generations in a big way and been very impactful and. At the end of the day, what film and television is, is storytelling. We're storytellers. And they've been telling some amazing stories through these games and in, in, you know, uh, in a more in-depth way. Uh, I didn't get either as, you know, like a lot of us after high school, you kind of get on with your life and you, there's like, you don't play video games for a lot of years as you're mm-hmm. kind of getting to the workforce and doing this and that. And, and then when I start getting back into gameplay, uh, like Hollywood, you follow the money. You know, where, where's the money at? Like, and when video games started outgrossing Hollywood uh, yearly, year after year after year after year, you're like, well, what, what's going on? What are these games? What's happening? How can, you know, Black Ops have an opening weekend of a billion dollars? Like, no movie's opening weekend is a billion dollars. Like, how is this happening, right? And, and some kid illuminated me. I was talking to some young gamers, like, talk to me. Tell me why this is happening. And he was like, well, you know, I can go watch a movie, like a really good movie. Like I can go watch Avengers and it's going to cost me like $15 for the movie theater. I'm like, right. He goes, well, I can spend like $40 and play this game. You know, the movie's going to entertain me for two hours, but this game's going to entertain me for like 200 hours. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, that's different. You know what I'm saying? Telling a story over 200, let, let alone the engagement and all that kind of stuff going on like that where you're playing the character. But there's, you know, I talked to fans and about them having emotional connections with characters from certain games, and they'll have the same thing like a movie. Like, when this happened, and the, did you cry when this happened? They're like, yeah, do I? And then, like, you start to understand the storytelling going on in these worlds, so it only makes 
it only makes all the sense in the world that, you know, big Hollywood studios are going to go in, try to collaborate or buy IP up and try to create, you know, a, a digestible film version of, of these games or these characters. And since you are directing more and, and doing producing more, is there any, have you, do you have any interest in, in adapting any game in it? Or if so, is there any game that you would like to, to potentially bring to life? Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, there's some things, like I said, I'm a big League of Legends fan. So I have talked to the guys at Riot about some of their IP and they're, you know, they're currently creating a lot of stuff and I'm seeing what things I can put together because I know the IP pretty well and what would make sense. Um, but again, these worlds are so vast with so many different characters. It's about, you know, I know Hollywood. So like, how can we put that into a, how can we put a whole world into a digestible two hour, you know, thing? And that's, that's where you kind of find the rub of like a lot of things. Or can we take those as backdrops for other things? This is where the creators come in figuring out things like that. But I think, you know, I think League of Legends is a thing I'm really looking at, but there's other things like Homestuck. I was, I'm big in this, this webcomic called Homestuck and I was involved with them as they created the video game. Mm-hmm. And again, as if they go back and try to do something narrative, I might get back involved in something like that. Is you, you got anything? Cause I, I want to hit some of these Twitter questions. Before yeah, we, hit, hit we the Twitter questions. Hit All us, right. hit us. All right. Let me pull up the first one we have from, we have from Caramel Kell. Not really a question. She just wanted to let you know, I loved American Dragon growing up. It's one of the shows that inspired me to become a voice actress. I would like to know what it's like being a voice actress of color, especially one in the character, uh, where the character looks like you and represents your culture. Thank you for the question. That's awesome. Good luck on the journey of, uh, of voice acting. Um, yeah, I, you know, I kind of stumbled into the whole voice acting world also. And, uh, you know, I, I was trained as a as an on screen actor and continues act on screen. And I opened the new corridor. What's voice acting has become, and it, I just I think I got pretty lucky in a time where voice acting became very popular. Where all of a sudden the voice acting kind of like you know avenue of, of Hollywood got a lot of exposure on it due to I, I believe the uh, the the blow up of Comic Con and the buzz. Uh, the buzzword of what Comic-Con became worldwide. And it just so happened there was a time when when American Dragon came out and Avatar came out. And uh, and all of a sudden, people really were really caring. Not that people never cared about voice actors, but they cared about voice actors in this new celebritized way. Mm-hmm. And I was just one of the actors that were also known for my on-screen characters that can play these characters that are that I voiced that people still feel I could play in real life, you know? Um, yeah, so I think, I don't know, for me, the, the part of the question, like, how does it feel to be a, a, a voice actor that can, that played something that meant something to me? A lot of my, my career as a voice actor has been solely based on characters that, because I'm not the kind of voice actor that's putting on another voice. Right. The people that know me, that know me as whoever, Dante Bosco, or characters that Dante Bosco played, they know my career. When they're casting the voice acting, these characters are, are, are again, quote unquote Dante Bosco S characters. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. It's like one of those weird things. Like I'll be in the street. Someone will see me and just like be Rufio or will see me and go Jake Long or will see me and address me as Zuko. Like there's not, there's like as if we're all the same person, you know, and to a degree, maybe we are. I mean, I guess I'm fortunate in that way that I got to play those kind of characters. I get to play those. I continue to get to play those kind of characters. Um, so at the end of the day, for me as voice acting, just I always tell people just 
become a good actor. Become a good actor, and it doesn't matter if you have a camera shooting you or a, vo- or a microphone recording your voice. Hopefully, you're giving the same truthful performance in all of it. And then it is extra special when you're getting to do something for your community, um, whether it be Zuko or, or Jake Long, and represent you know an, an underrepresented community in the arts and, and get to put out another image or another feeling to like really encompass what it is to be Asian in America. Uh, Duante, the overcorrected Avenger, asked, please ask him about this cult classic. And he gave a picture of Faking the Funk, which you know, has a very Im- the- impressive cast there. Funk. I love that movie. It's a very impressive uh, cast. Uh, Margaret Cho, shout out to Margaret Cho. Shout out to Pam Drew, who played my mother. And my er- Ernie Hudson, played my father. Uh, Dwayne Martin's in the film. Chris Spencer. Uh, so many, so many folks. Tatiana Ali. Uh, plays my girlfriend in the movie. Um, Faking the Funk, man, is uh, is a hood classic. That's a hood <laughs> classic. If you know Faking the Funk, you grew up in or around the hood. Yamada bought that film at the liquor store. It's quite possible. Um, that was a film done uh, in the 90s. I forget what year. And uh, when I was approached to play the film, you know, it's about an Asian kid who got adopted by a black family, Pam Greer who's a black exploitation legend. We all know who Pam Greer is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was an Asian kid that grew up in the hood. And so I, I was a prime candidate for this role. Uh, and I love playing it, playing this character, Julian. Um, it was an experience that I grew up with. I'm, I'm a hip hop kid, you know? And so I, you know, I talk a lot, especially, you know, I've talked at Juvie Hall. I've talked to like kids in my neighborhood. I grew up right around Compton in LA and Paramount. And, and I've talked to a lot of just, you know, just blue collar communities of kids coming up and, and, and whether it be, you know, Asian, Latin, mostly like black and Latin communities. It's just like, it's hard growing up in the hood. I understand the situation. I was there. I came up out of it. We can come up out of it. But I, I would explain, especially to the, uh, the black and Latino kids, like, you know, I know how hard it is in the hood, but imagine being Asian in the hood growing up. Think about that. Now you got another a line of what that is and this film depicts through comedy a certain aspect of that also depicts race relations between asians and african-americans and uh there's a lot i mean there's a things if you watch the film now there's probably things that are not politically correctly done in the film it could be a little cringy but that's the time when you look back at films from decades ago how we progress as a culture but there's also a lot of things at the heart of the film and funny moments in the film and uh it's a lot of great memories with the cast and the whole crew and the director everything belvin linderoth asked uncle ira was obviously a father figure for zuko and over the course of the show offered a lot of wisdom is there any advice uncle ira uh, gave zuko that helped you in real life yeah you know the the original actor who played uncle ira is mako who's rest in peace passed away uh during book two and um, and he was, you know, taking the characters taken over br- brilliantly by Greg Baldwin. So shout out to Greg Baldwin also, who bril- brilliantly took over the character and amazing. Um, but Mako in particular, he played my uncle Iro, but he played my uncle or my father in my career uh, several times. I want to say at least three, maybe four times. And I've known him since I was 12 where he played my uncle in a film called uh, The Perfect Weapon. And so Mako, for people that don't understand who Mako is, he's one of the most prolific Asian American actors in the history of Hollywood. I mean, he was, a, he was, he was nominated for an Oscar in, in the movie Sand Pebbles with Steve McQueen and his credits are 
hundred over a hundred film credits. He's been throughout your psyche for sure. All of us that are pop culture people that grew up watching movies. Um, but now, so Mako, I, he was someone that I grew up with that I can ask for advice throughout my life because he saw me grow up in Hollywood and gave me just Mako to me, just things that I should do and would look out for. Don't be like this or this could happen. And then when he passed away, you know, he's one of the original members and founders of the East West Players, which is a theater company out here in Los Angeles, uh, Asian American theater company, uh, the longest running person of color theater company, I think in America. Mm. And so that's a theater company that I grew up in also doing plays in, writing plays in, being around, going to their events and their shows and being a supportive of, and they've been a supporter of me. And so when he passed away, I realized I'm a part of that same lineage. And I, uh, you know, it comes with growing up. And the last thing he taught me was like, it's not about you, man. It's about the next generation. So me really getting into Asian filmmaking and creating vehicles and opportunities for the next generation uh, was like my form of East West players. You know, it's not time for me to do a theater company. It's my time to like create stories and avenues for the next generation to give things that I didn't have. And so thus I started, you know, I, I produced films like Kev Jumba, and, uh, AJ Raphael. I, I produced Justin Chan's first film he directed. He went on to direct Gook and uh, Miss Purple. And so that's what he taught me, you know, as Uncle Iroh, it's like, you can be great, but it's greater to really, you know, create, create for others. And we have a question from Oxford Comma Queen. He asked, when did, uh, he had told me to ask about your poetry and when did you start writing? Does he incorporate his spoken words, uh, word style into his voice acting? And, and do you still perform? Do you still write and perform? Oh yeah. Shout out. Thank you so much. Yeah. Poetry is a big part of my life. I was uh, a part of, uh, I started a poetry menu in my living room over 20 years ago, which became DPL, the Poetry Lounge, which was originally Dante's Poetry Lounge. And uh, that's still going on today. We just we just celebrated our 22 year anniversary. I, I, of course, I always I still write, still perform. When it's not COVID time, I'm probably around the country making college dates, uh, probably half a dozen to 10 a year. Um, and I'm always writing, you know, my, in my new book uh, from Rufio Dezuko has some of my latest poetry in there. Um, I'm always writing online, doing, you know, I like to participate in Poetry Month and do stuff on my Instagram. Uh, it's always a part of my things. Um, there's a play I wrote called Midnight Makeout Session where all the monologues are spoken word pieces. And uh, we're thinking about maybe turning that play into a film after after we release Fabulous Filipino Brothers. So I'll probably release a poetry book sometime soon and mm-hmm. tour with that. It's also talks of a one-man show that I'm developing right now uh, with my group. And that's going to incorporate a lot of spoken word poetry. Uh, you know, people want me to do like a one man show. I'm not a stand up comic, but poets are like the flip side of, of, of comedy, you know, should make you laugh. Should make you, should make you think, should, you know, mm-hmm. can make you cry. Uh, but so I'll probably be, you know, after all this film stuff dies down, I might be looking into doing that and touring with that and doing something interactive. We'll see. It, such a strange time right now, man. So this yeah. pandemic got the whole world shook, including Hollywood. So <laughs> we'll see how it gets, how it gets, you know, how things pan out. Craig Barron asks, uh, who has the Peter Pan sword? Who has the Peter Pan sword? Yeah. Or did you take it? Or did you take it? Oh, <laughs> here know. we go. <laughs> Bam. Hey. Oh, Whoa. I got one. I got one. Um, I did take it. I did take it. 
And it's 25 years. I think the law, the statute's limitation. I think I'm good now. There was a few on the set, and I, I literally had the sword, one of the swords, every day just because it was my weapon. <laughs> and it took some, I had to do so much training with it. One of them, I don't know, one of them, you know, ended up with me. This is actually the one, you know, from the set that if you look at the tip, see, it's like that, it's all scraped out. We used it for the cross the line scene. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> been talking so much today on these publicity tour. We'll, but we'll, that that's my own little piece of memorabilia. Nice. We'll get you out of here soon, Dante. But the, uh, speaking uh, speaking of Ru- uh, Rufio, is there any? I know a while back there was an interest of you making a doing a solo movie. Uh, or would you be interested in uh, bringing that back and doing that again? Or uh, yeah, there's um, we're in development for something that's okay. Rufio based. So <clears throat> it's out there. I mean, we'll be pitching soon. I mean, this people know about it. I can't really talk drop drop mm-hmm. drop about it. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, but it's a origin story of Rufio and um, it would be animated. Ooh. And I, I would pro- I'd, co- I'd come back and voice the character. Let's say, let's put it like that. All right. All right. I, I'm not going to get, we're not going to get you in trouble. We're not going to tease any more <laughs> of that. Yeah. And speak, uh, we're already talking of, of Rufio. There's another question from Tasha Tampa. Cause you, you, you mentioned uh, previously on artificial, like anytime you can um, uh, speak about Robin Williams, we want to do it and praise him. So, I just wanted to uh, pull this one up real quick. And he, and she asked, did you receive any acting tips from Robin Williams? And what was that like uh, just working with him on set? Yeah. I mean, working, I worked him for like eight months, man. He's, he's great. He's such an inspiration and a beautiful, beautiful guy. Um, it was just his leadership on the set and being around him and being around someone that smart and that magical. Uh, he was so great. You know, I mean, He's been such an inspiration to me from more committee to Dead Poets Society to the world according to Garb. It's to be with him every day and to see how he treats other people on the set and with respect and knows everybody's names. And then when it's time to work, he's like on the ball, faster, wittier, more into it than anybody. Uh, that was just really taught me a lot as a young actor and just how caring he was. I mean, he had, I had like a lot of great moments with him talking about poetry and about culture, I mean, he, you know, he took me aside one day and he was like, you know, where are you from? Like, what? I'm like, I'm like, I'm from San Francisco. It's like, I don't know, me too. I'm like, where's your family from? I'm like, oh, I'm Filipino. And he was like, oh my God, thoughts are so crazy. He's my, my wife, his wife at the time, Marsha. She's like, you know, she's, she's half Filipino. I was like, I didn't know that. He goes, yeah. And we were talking, some of I was looking at you and he reminded my father-in-law and he was like, we're talking about all that stuff. And you know, when a big, Hollywood actor kind of brings you to the side and starts talking about personal things like that. A lot of us in this industry, you know, you're always feel like you're on the outside looking in to the, to the great party going on. You can even be, I'm already cast in the film. You're already in the film, but you're still looking at all big stars and, and all these things going on. You still feel like you're on the outside looking in, you know, and, and a gesture like that from a humongous stars, like telling you, you know, you're welcome. Like you're here, man. Like this is for you. You're not on the outside looking like come in. You're, this is for you also. You're a part of this. And that's that kind of feeling and that kind of charity is kind of carried over to the rest of my career. And I, and I try to do the same thing for other newcomers. Like, you know, especially as a person of color in Hollywood, a lot of times you're on the outside looking in and, and, and there's the artists are out there saying, no, it's here for you too. So I love that guy. Rest in peace, Rob Williams. 
Completely understand. Thank, uh, thank you for just even talking about them. That that man and you speaking like talking about feeling like on the outside. Me speaking to you directly right now just is it, it feels like I'm 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 on that level. Like yeah, I don't, I don't think you understand how much it means for you to be talking to us. Sitting there a little hey bit man, so, I appreciate it. I appreciate really, it. Uh, like I said, grew up watching Avatar, Jake Long, and then for me to be able to just binge it repeatedly, I'm I'm telling you, Avatar has not left my have kept keep watching things since it, its debut. Like anytime I get to the last episode, all right, let me just rewind it back. We'll start over and. Binge. Hey, hey, I, I appreciate it so, it so much. I appreciate it. Hydro Johnny asks, any interest in joining your niece in a Birds of Prey sequel of some sorts of role, or should she have all the spotlight? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely give her the spotlight. <laughs> you never know what goes on in these worlds. I, I haven't done a character yet for Disney, uh, for DC or Marvel, but we'll see what happens in the future. But I'm just with her, just on the side, watching, looking, and um, and, and just being super proud of her. Amazing, amazing. Well, Dennis, do you have any? I think that's it. We we hit no, through all it. the questions. We hit through most of them. I don't want to. Uh, there's a, a bunch more, but I, I know you got to get out of here. No doubt, man. Good luck on uh, everything, all the gaming and the podcast. Keep grinding. It's all important to be out there. Our voices out there telling our stories, covering everything. It's really great. No, thanks for joining us. And and to remind everyone, they can watch Artificial on Twitch every Thursday, six p.m. Pacific, nine p.m. Eastern. Dante Bosco is going to be playing a new character called Xander. Check that out. Uh, where can people find you on, like, on social media, Dante? Yeah, uh, at Dante Bosco on most things like Twitter and, uh, and Instagram. And I just opened up a TikTok. Someone already took my name. <laughs> so you can find me at Rufio Zuko on TikTok. Just did something crazy. Some, I just did a crazy thing yesterday. Some guy did a rap, a Zuko rap, and he sounds just like me. So I just did a duet. Like just listening to it, some like my actually my niece Elle is like, this guy sounds like you. Like go on your TikTok and do a duet. I'm like, what? And she's like, just do, do this duet thing, and like listen to it. And I and I did the duet that she told me to do, and uh, that just went viral yesterday. But hilarious. I was like, this dude sounds a lot like me too. It's crazy. Awesome. I'm gonna definitely check that out. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dante. And we uh, we're looking forward to everything that you're gonna be doing in the future. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Later. Thanks. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Stay little Chico Pit Pool, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game. So that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.